Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. Today we return to our conversation with Mitchell Muller for the conclusion of the interview about church planting in the Yucatan Peninsula. We talk a good bit in this segment about church planting strategy and even how some of those strategies varied for Brother Muller from the more rural areas where he started out to the city where he's located now. In the last part of this interview, I speak with Brother Mitch about a topic that is often forgotten or ignored in this enterprise of missions, the care of aging parents in relation to the demands of foreign mission service. The Mullers made the difficult decision to return to the States back in 2014 to care for their aging parents, and then the Lord got them back to the field of Mexico in 2019 to continue their mission efforts there. In the last portion of this interview, Brother Mitch walks us through that experience. Now for the second part of my conversation with Mitchell Muller. Brother Mitch, after after uh, adapting to the culture, learning the language, and as we addressed previously, you did this through immersion. You did this by really just uh, interacting and rubbing shoulders with the people in the village. Once you gain that experience, once you develop some confidence in the language and the culture, you eventually struck out on your own. And I guess this is around 2002, you established yes. Calvary Baptist Church in Chetamal. And, and since then, you've, you've uh, started a number of churches. So how did you go about starting that first church? And I'm really, I, I hope maybe you'll tell us a little bit about what you've learned in the process and how your church planting strategy has taken shape over the years. Okay, well, we left uh, the village and what we did was we did a little survey trips. You know, we were praying about it. And while we were in Hopelchen, which is the name of that village, we, there was a, there's a Mennonite community in, in the Southern Peninsula. And uh, they're, they're Mexican. They're born and raised here. They're Mexican citizens, but they're just, they're very separate. And they live separate in their own little communities. And they make their own communities. And they're farmers. But uh, we met a couple who lived in our neighborhood and uh, named Juan and Maria. <laughs> and uh, we just became friends. And, and, and I, he just, I guess he mentioned this place called Chetumal. And, and uh, he was going to go and work some land outside of it in a place called Bacalar. And uh, I remember writing that word down, Chetumal, and I put it on my, my sun visor. So I was looking at that name for months. And so finally, my wife and I saw it was about time for us to, to move along. I mean, you know, we'd been there a couple of years and, and uh, I, was a, I was speaking Spanish somewhat, I, uh, doing some of the preaching out in, in our village work. And, and so we drove over to uh, Chetuma and I actually went with another national pastor who was my sponsor pastor because he had a church that's called, it's a registered church. And that doesn't mean the government told him what to say or anything. He just did it so that he could be a sponsor. And so we got our visas through his church because you have to have a church uh, sponsor to get the kind of visa we wanted, which was a missionary visa. And uh, so we went with him and we went and visited a couple different cities and a couple different areas. When we got to Chetumal, it was just, uh, wow, it just really kind of felt right. And, you know, I don't know how to explain those things when the Lord just confirms things to your 
to your soul or to your spirit, but he just, there's just a piece about it, you know, that's for sure. And, uh, and so we went there on our own for, we said, well, we'll just go over there and spend a, a week or so and see how it goes. We didn't know anybody there. And, uh, I knew of a pastor there, but there was, a, there was a couple, but so we went back over there and, and we were praying. And I remember we were fasting. We were fasting, you know, almost, uh, every day till, till dinner time. So it wasn't a, a day fast, but we were praying specifically that, Lord, I would like to hear the words from somebody that says, if you, that, that, that said, if you come here, uh, I'll go to your church. And so that was our fleece, I guess. And uh, we were working, we did a little bit of door knocking, trying to get the, get the feel of the water. You know, you put your toe in the water, right? And see how it goes. And so uh, we were, uh, one night we were in a, uh, in the downtown area and we were walking up and down the, just kind of taking it in. And there was a lady sitting outside on a little bench in front of a, a tourist store that sells artesian things. And, and uh, I sat down and Liz went in there and, and the lady was looking at me and it was the funniest thing because in perfect English, she looks at me and says, so where are you from? You know? <laughs> Uh, I didn't expect it, you know. I mean, and, yeah. and, uh, I said, "Well, we're from Washington," and, and uh, she says, "So you just down here visiting?" And I said, "Actually, we're we're missionaries. We've been living in Campeche the last couple of years, and we're going to come over here and maybe start something. We're just trying to figure it out." And, and you know what she said? She said exactly what we've been praying for. If you came here, I'd go to your church. And so I just went, okay. And uh, so I didn't expect to hear it in English. Amen. <laughs> so we went to, to Calvary. I mean, I'm sorry, we went to Chetumal. And uh, we began by handing out about 10,000 flyers. And uh, we put on that flyer on a certain date and time in the evening uh, we were going to have a, a an open house meeting where if you're interested in being a part of a church like this or, or about us, you can come and get to know us meeting. That's what we did. So we were handing out flyers. I mean, Liz and I would leave at eight in the morning and just putting them on the doors. We weren't hardly talking to anybody unless someone asked us about stuff. And I, I think within about three weeks, we had uh, handed out close to eight, nine thousand of these flyers. And those flyers had the date and time and a place uh, on the fourth week where folks come and meet us. And uh, so we had this this come to meet us meeting. And that was the strategy we used. And I think we had uh, we had probably about 25 people show up and I uh, had a big whiteboard. I remember and I was telling them, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it's just going to be the uh, God fearing, God honoring church. And we're going to. Uh, watch the Lord work in a great way. And uh, this is when we're going to have our first service. And it was uh, our first service. And we had 117 people show up. Wow. And so that was the strategy we used, this mass invitation strategy in the city. And it, and it worked well. And uh, about out of those 117, I remember we had several folks saved that day. And it was just so exciting, you know. And, and uh, we probably wound up with about 40, 45 people that stayed and sure. coming every week. 
and uh, we were in this big rental and it was just a, just a beat up old place, but we were having a time of it and we were there. And, and the, from that, we moved into another rental place. And then we wound up buying our own piece of property, which was 100% Mexican money. We didn't ask any help from the churches that supported us. We bought and built that building. We bought the property, built the building all without any outside uh, resources. Um, that's how we started our work in Chetumal. Now that work also started three other village works. So those were sort of like, uh, after a while I had a Bible Institute. So they also became sort of training centers for the preacher boys. Yeah. They would get to go out there and preach in these village works. And each one of those was just started sort of out of a different way because it was just the circumstances of the Lord and his, his providential leading I didn't target any specific uh, village, but see, that was the model I learned from Pastor Victor. You have a central church and your church goes out into the surrounding villages and establishes works out there. And they may never become autonomous. They may stay dependent upon your work, uh, but that's that's not it. The goal isn't an artificial goal to make them autonomous. It's just to go out and reach people for Christ and just establish these, these beachheads everywhere. So over the eight years we were there in Chetumal, we were able to establish three more works through that church, so little sister churches or daughter churches, whatever you want to call them. And, uh, you know, the first one, uh, uh, one Sunday we were in service and this truck pulled up with a truckload of people in the back and uh, they all came into service, probably about 15 of them and we're okay. Uh, who are they? <laughs> and after service, their spokesman came and talked to me and said they basically been abandoned by their pastor. He went off to Cancun and got a job as an assistant pastor and got paid. And they're there in this village and they have no pastor. And I said, well, are you, are you independent Baptist? And they said, yeah, that's why we're here. And apparently they were started by another church many years earlier in Chetumal. And I remember asking them, why don't they go back to that church? And ask that pastor because they have more, uh, you know, more proprietary interest in you than I do. And uh, they said, well, he seems like he doesn't want to do anything with us. And I said, well, so we started going there and that was just God's providence. Sure. He, we went there and I remember telling him, you know, I mean, I knew a little bit about the church that had founded that mission work many years earlier. And they, they're independent Baptists, but they weren't aggressive soul winning type church. And, uh, and I said, listen, we're going to come up here and we're going to do it our way. And, it, and if you try to, if you don't like that, then just let us know now and we, we won't waste each other's time because we're going to go and start asking people start coming to this church. And what had happened is, is that church had tried this mission work some years earlier had tried to establish another mission of its own. And I guess that was the issue between their original uh, founding entity, the church. It was a mission work, but eventually this little mission work became autonomous. And so as far as they were concerned, this original founding church of them, their establishing church, as, as far as they were concerned, you, you're autonomous and, and we don't have any proprietary interest in you anymore. You're an autonomous church. And while they were an autonomous church, they tried to start their own mission and uh, it didn't work. And now this church was in trouble. And so what happened is after about 
two years of, of reestablishing that church and, and getting a good attendance in it. I mean, you're, you're in a village of like 300 people. And so you've got 30, 30, 40 people coming. You're doing pretty good. You yeah. know, that's, that's a great work. And so, that's well, a- I mean, I mean, <laughs> you look at the ratio, <laughs> we're a mega church, you know, with 30 people. So um, we went up to this other village to check it out and spy out the land and, and they had a building there. I mean, it was a wood building, but they had a building. And and there was a family there that lived on the property in their own house, because that's where they had started with this family. And we went there and were able to revive that work. And so the first two mission efforts of ours established, they're called mission churches. After we had a church in, in Calvary Baptist and had it going and established and uh, we were able to revive two other works. So we didn't start them from scratch, but yeah. we were able to go back in and sort of, you know, stir the ashes and, and and get the coals burning again in a place that had, had gone, gone dormant, you know? And so that was our experience in that. Now, our third mission work, we started it from scratch. A doctor uh, from our sending church came down with a couple of people. And she was uh, pretty fluent in Spanish. And uh, we went up to a village and we used her as bait, uh, amen, to get the people to come out. In, in a, a village, and I don't want to digress much, but it's called Ejido. And a village has a different kind of local government that is sort of autonomous. And I don't want to get into all too, but that was all established by Benito uh, Emiliano Zapato, who was a, uh, sort of in cohorts with uh, Pancho Villa. And this was just a, a way to to protect uh, the village people from the huge entity corporations and the Lord uh, and, uh, and the landowners. Anyway, uh, you have to get permission from a from a council to do anything in these villages, you know, because it's a co-op basically is what it is. So we went there and got permission and they loaned us their little uh uh, center, their little house center. It's a little wood hut that's sitting in, in the middle of town. And uh, we set up a little doctor's office in there. And uh, we started going around announcing and they put it on the loudspeaker in the town that there's a doctor over there is free. <laughs> and you can go see her and she might even have meds for you that are free because she we went and bought a whole suitcase full of stuff. And so there was a line of 100 people out there waiting to see the doctor. And while they were waiting, we showed a, a movie. Uh, somewhere for eternity. And uh, we had a big kids club out there in the middle of the basketball court. And that's how we established that. I've made uh, contact with, uh, so the third church that we did, just to keep it shorter, uh, we used an activity to promote the gospel. And uh, as we did that, we were, I made a connection with a family there. And I was able to go back and develop that connection and actually began discipling them. And through that, uh, once you, in, in a village, if you reach a family, uh, usually uh, you'll be able to get inroads into their extended family because that's just how it is. And uh, so that's what we did. So the first two were just sort of uh, reviving something that had been established by other people. And our third one was um, promotional, which is sort of the strategy I still use in the villages a little bit. Amen. And the mass invitation is something that I've done in every church that we've ever started in a city. 
those uh, strategies and those approaches and sort of hashing some of that stuff out is is helpful as, as we think about how to go about this. I am. It is interesting to me as you describe the how this worked out. Uh, working from Calvary, there's a sense in which while you established that church, you were working in these other churches and working in those other churches was, I guess, a part of getting Calvary established because you've got a Bible Institute, you're training men simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. And you have, you have teams, you've got teams that are going out there. So you're involving your, your home church, I guess we'll call it your, your main work. But you're you're mindful that, you know, so there was a time where I'm pastoring four churches all at the same time. I appreciate you acknowledging that this doesn't always look the same when we talk about church planting uh, strategy. It's not a cookie cutter. So no, no, it it can't work. You're working with people and you're working under the circumstances that you inherit. And so in, in two of these cases, it's a church revitalization effort. Right. Right. In the third case, it actually starts with a medical outreach and you just, there are a lot of different things in the toolbox to get this done. And for this reproduction, there's not a one size fits all. And I think, I think in, 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 even in, in the United States, I mean, it's not much different. I think a lot of things, if you were to, to tell me how you wound up at, at Cornerstone, you're going to begin recounting all the circumstances that were going on in your life. And I think the Lord leads us a lot through circumstances. And it's just how sensitive are you to those? And sure. I think that's where, where the rubber meets the road. If you're sensitive to the leading of, of the spirit of God, and uh, instead of being hesitant and and, uh, you know, I mean, you got to count the costs, of course, you don't go building towers without checking out how much it's going to cost you. But sometimes the Lord opens up opportunities for us. And sometimes I think I've missed opportunities. And later I've looked back and just went, oh, I missed that. And now it's gone. You know, so, uh, you know, I think that's probably happened to all of us. But circumstances, I believe, are a great part of what the Lord's uh, leading you to do. So, but I, I will say that a strategy doesn't always work. We came here from Calvary after being in, in Chetumal for eight years, Brother Lee. So now I'm going to go over to Medida. And uh, we came to Medida, and that was a whole different set of circumstances. Chetumal is a small city. It's a couple hundred thousand people. And it has a real ambiance of being very rural. And it's very, uh, I mean, it, it still doesn't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, any of the modern conveniences like malls. And I mean, it has a it has a McDonald's. And that's about it. You know, so I mean, it's still just sort of that it's more Mexican than modern here in Medida. Uh, sometimes you might forget that you're in Mexico because there's just a lot of modernization here. We have malls, we have Costco, we have Walmarts, you know, you have all these these things that are here and there's a million and a half people. And so it's a big bustling city. And now when we came here, I actually had a team come from our last church plant, Calvary. I think we had about 15, 16 people come over and we had them strewn out all over the place. You know, we had a bunch of them in our house and we'd already rented a little house and sort of painted it and fixed it up a little bit and got ready for, for, uh, for services over there. And this time I said, you know, this is such a bigger city. Uh, you know, we're going to do the flyer strategy and we're going to have a come to get to Noah's meeting on there 
but now I've got this big team to help me out. I, I think instead of 10,000, I think we're going to hand out 50,000. Amen. And we're just going to go for broke here and I'll probably have two, 300 show up in my first service. <laughs> um, because it, nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, <laughs> we handed out all these flyers and this strategy and, and uh, it failed miserably. Uh, I think I had three people come to our first get to know you meeting. I had about three people. In fact, there was more of us than them. So I had about 20 of us that were there for it. And I had prepared all this food and all this. And, you know, I don't call it a, a disaster, but it sure didn't happen like I thought it would. <laughs> sure. You know, the Lord's going to teach you something through that. You know, not everything's the same. You know, this kind cometh out by prayer and fasting. I mean, those those 12, were they were used to trying. They were using their orthodoxy, and they were doing what they always did, and it didn't work. You know, it already worked before, but it didn't work this time. Well, I tell you, it, the missions requires adaptation. It requires flexibility. My whole approach to ministry here in Medida is really different, and I learned it the last time I was here, so I was able to already come pre-adapted when we came back for our second run at Medida. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, our first service here in Medida, I think uh, we had five or six people from Chetumal that were here helping us. And uh, I think we had 14 people show up. And that's what we started with. And things began to go and turn the corner and we began to grow. And within, with, by the time we, we left here, uh, you know, we were probably running about 100 and so we were doing all right. I mean, the Lord worked it all out. But one thing we learned then is that uh, the the approach to people here is a lot different. They're busy and they have a lot of spare time. And there, there's a ton, just, I mean, an, an, orbit, an exorbitant amount of propaganda in the way of, of uh, advertisements that's left on your gate. I could go down to the front of my gate right now uh, on my porch. And uh, there's probably six or seven flyers in the <laughs> yeah. things. And that's every day. It's not the slow pace that the, that the small town. Not are. here, not at all. But I mean, you have every business, every taco stand, every whoever they are, are trying to get your attention by these flyers. And so it's, it's just propaganda land. And so my flyers are just lost in the sea of everybody else's. And so we go and we knock on doors, we, you know, we say, hey, I got this piece of literature we'd like to give you. And a lot of folks would come out and uh, they'll say, you know, I, I just don't have time. And I, the guys, the, the men here work six days a week, you know. And uh, so we started going out Sunday afternoon, try to find people home, you know. And that was one thing we changed a lot. Another thing was that, um, now, I'm not saying you can't witness to someone right there. Um, many times you can, but a lot of times you can't, but they're willing to let you come back. And so we began to realize that we could talk to the folks and say, well, when is a good time for you? When they said they didn't have time. And there they would say, well, I'm usually home Friday afternoon about seven. And I say, do you mind if I come back? And they say, well, it'd be okay. You know, or not, whatever. right then is where they're going to kind of cut you off. And we began to realize that a lot of people said, sure. And you'd go back at Friday night, seven o'clock, 
And they had kind of forgotten about it. But once they opened the door and saw you, they, oh, come on in. Amen. <laughs> so we began to realize that making these, uh, just these contacts in this way, without putting pressure on people, we were able to get into their homes. And once you got into their home, I mean, there's no skirting around the issue. They knew exactly that you're a religious person there to talk about your religion. Amen. I mean, there wasn't no dancing around the issue and just trying to talk about the weather for a few minutes, right? So we began to see a lot of uh, uh, results from that. Secondly, we also saw that here in this city, probably the biggest way that you can advance the work is that your own people bring people. I mean, just your own people bringing people to service. And so you have activities and, and their reasons, their motivations to get people to come to your church. Uh, Father's Day, Mother's Day, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll highlight those days on the calendar and do something special and have some food. And usually every time we do, there's two or three visitors, you know, maybe a couple families visiting because one of our families will bring their neighbor. And then their neighbor gets introduced to us and, and exposed to the gospel. And then as we follow up, uh, so, so the, the strategy here isn't mass anything. It's, it's uh, mostly uh, getting your folks to, to realize that their neighbors are their responsibility. And so this church that we hear before the quarantine, this is our second run. We were here one year, Brother Lee, oh, one year, our February one year anniversary, you know, we had, uh, we had, we had been here for just a year and we had 93 in service. And there was no big promotion. It was just our anniversary. And I would say 80 of them were already coming. So we moved out of the little house that we were renting and uh, we had knocked down some walls just to accommodate the folks. Now we rent a, a large warehouse where we built some rooms in the back and so we were there for a month and our in just one year our average attendance was over 80 and so and mostly it was people bringing their friends and bringing their friends and they would come back and now we do go out we do some door knocking and that kind of thing and and i'm all for door-to-door evangelism I, I love it but and also we've already established another mission work out there and now that strategy is the same. We went out there and uh, we had a, uh, a kids club type thing. And, uh, and the, all the kids come and wherever the kids come, the parents come. So we were able to use a, a typical strategy in the villages is to have some sort of event. Y'all gave us a trampoline. Right. You gave us a trampoline and I've used it in three different villages so far. And that's a big hook. Uh, to go out and set up a trampoline and just setting up the trampoline brings a whole mob of kids. So all the kids come and we set it up and say, go over there and listen to the ladies as they teach you. And then everybody can come and jump for free. Because here in Mexico, a trampoline is a business and they'll set it up in a park, but they charge that kid, you know, a couple of pesos to jump in it. And so we're jumping it for free. You just got to go to the teachers and then while the parents are all hanging around, you know, I have, a, I don't know if you've ever seen those three doors. Yeah, the three doors. Yeah, so I have one that we made, and, and I have a table. 
some stuff on there and, and they'll come and I'll say, come and see three things God can't do and, and, and lead them through those doors and then lead them to Christ. So we started a work in a village after we were here about five months. And I don't know, I just felt really led of the Lord to do it. I, you know, speaking just from experience, I didn't think we were ready as a church to start a mission work, but the Lord seemed to think otherwise. So I went out there and sure enough, uh, the Lord connected us with a family and uh, has a piece of land that used to have a church on it. And just a whole bunch of neat things happened out there. Now we've been sort of shut down the last few months because of all this pandemic, but uh, we're looking forward to getting back out there. So here the strategy in the village is pretty much the same, but our strategy here in Medida is completely different. Well, Brother Mitch, a big a big part of this story is actually, and we've sort of, uh, we've, we've uh, kind of skipped over an important part of your story in terms of <laughs> deployment there in Mexico. Yeah. I think it's a really important uh, topic that I wanted to engage you on because it's, it's something that maybe is overlooked in the, in the whole enterprise of missions. Um, even as you're trying to reach families there in Mexico, uh, there was a family that you and your wife left behind, of course, in order to go as missionaries to Mexico. And yes. uh, Every family, of course, faces difficult transitions in the course of life. But I think that navigating those things while serving on a foreign field, it does involve some additional challenges. And so we mentioned that you, you left the field of Mexico between 2014 and 2019. And mm -hmm. that stateside time was necessitated by both you and your wife needing to care for, for aging parents. So I'm wondering if you would walk us yeah. through that situation how that developed and how you and Liz responded from the foreign field to the, to the need that your families had domestically. Right. Well, we, uh, we, my mom had, uh, been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, uh, before 2005, four, she had it. And, uh, what happened, it just got progressively worse over the years and uh, by around 2013, um, it was it was uh, pretty developed, and she was losing the use of her limbs. She couldn't walk anymore. But at the same time, because of the multiple sclerosis, any little she was getting sick all the time, Lee, just all the time. And uh, my sister lived three or four states away. She would be the only responsible adult as far as my siblings are concerned. <laughs> put it mildly, just to put it mildly. Now, the rest of them were just a mess. And uh, and so she was neglected quite a bit and wound up in the emergency rooms. And so it just seemed that I was having to go to, to San Diego and, and check in on her and help her through those uh, those those moments of her life where she needed some some attention and someone to make sure she's going to get the attention she needs. You know, my mom, praise the Lord, had a gold plated uh, health care plan because she worked for the county. And uh, so that was all well and good. But there was no in-home care for her. That was very well. At the same time, my mother-in-law, Liz's mom, was beginning to exhibit dementia. And so the situation in her home life wasn't all that well either. We had, we had two moms that each had a son 
living in the home that took care of them. And neither one of them did a very good job, Lee. That was, that was our biggest concern. And uh, they just didn't take care of them. Uh, they didn't, they just didn't have the capability, I guess. And so I would go take care of my mom and be out for a couple of weeks, three weeks. I'd come back and then, you know, there's, there's my mother-in-law. She's in the hospital. And, you know, when they're, when they're old, it was a lot of urinary tract infections, a lot of things, you know, mostly just due to neglect, dehydration, things like that. And uh, so Liz would go and stay with her mom for a little while. And so there was this huge disconnect here in the ministry. We began to realize that, you know, we're a team and we work well together. And that's, uh, that's just how it ought to be. I, you know, we're a married couple. We're, we're both called to the field. It's not like she just came along with me because I was called. She had every bit of much a authentic calling on her life. But there was this huge disconnect here. And I began to feel it in the church because, you know, uh, she's gifted in the areas that I'm not. And, uh, and I'm gifted in the areas she's not. And so together we made a whole. And by the end of 2013, I just began to see that um, we're going to have to make a choice. Uh, we're going to have to go and, and take care of our, our mom or we're just going to, you know, do nothing about it and hope for the best. But at the same time, you know, the Bible talks about honoring your parents and, and uh, you know, and, and, and the passage that really the, your Lord used to, to speak to me was when, uh, uh, Jesus rebuked those Pharisees for Korban. And uh, in a sense, you know, the Lord said, I don't want you to, to play that game with spiritual Korban and, and tell the world, you know, and tell the churches and tell your church that, you know, you can't go because you're, you're a missionary, you know, and you've got more important things to do here. And that just really was the deciding factor for us. And so unfortunately, and, and I don't, I don't have any other way to sugarcoat it. Uh, the way we left, because the church wasn't ready and we weren't ready, this is just things that happened. Um, we left and, and the church didn't really hold together with, uh, with the leadership we left. And unfortunately, within about a year, it was, it was basically they had all just gone to the wind and, and gone their way. And there was really not a lot we could have done about it, but uh, just the, the things that were happening just put a sense of urgency on us. And so we, in 2014, in April, um, we went back home to the States and uh, we informed the church and we informed him that we left a man. And, and uh, I mean, he's a great brother and he's back with us again. Amen. And he's, he's faithful, but I, you know, I just don't feel he was called to pastor. So we were just trying to do the best we could. And as painful as it was, we knew that the right thing to do was to go home, take care of our parents. So we did. I, I think it was Bob Jones senior that made the statement that duties never conflict. And I would love for him to have written a multi-volume explanation of that. Of that <laughs> well, duties, duties do conflict. It really takes, you got to walk with the Lord to navigate those difficult circumstances. And the reality is that, that missions work. Um, I mean, it's the greatest calling that we could that we could imagine being a part of this commission. 
and yet it does not negate all of the other responsibilities and duties and commandments that we find in the in the scripture and it does create some some pretty difficult uh, situation. So I know that was a very, very difficult decision. Yeah, it, it was. It, 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 it was a lot of tears. It just ripped my heart right out of my chest, you know, to leave these folks. But, uh, you know, I'm going to say amen to what you just said. I mean, um, I appreciate Bob Jones Sr., but uh, <laughs> I don't think he had it right on that one. Duties do conflict. Oh, you you guys had to. I mean, it was in a sense. You guys had to. You had to make the re, the the reversed uh, adjustment. I mean, you had to you had to come back to the states and find work. And I had and, to come back to the states, and I did not want to come back to the states. I I don't have any affinity in that sense. Like, oh, I I miss home so much. That's you know that's been so done and over with. 20 years ago, you know, so, but we, I did reach out to a couple of churches and, uh, cause I had a couple ideas in my mind. Maybe I could go and get on staff somewhere and then bring my mom to where we're at. So I contacted my sending church and there wasn't really any opening for that at the time. And, you know, the timing is, uh, has a lot to do with a lot of things sometimes the timing, but there was a Southern, a church in uh, Southern California. And it was one of our supporting churches. And, uh, you know, some months earlier, um, I had been up there for a, uh, this was at the end of 2013, I think around October. And I'd gone up to see my mom and they were having a missions conference at the same time. And and I went to the missions conference because it's about maybe 45 minutes, an hour away from my mom's house. And, uh, you know, the conversation came up between myself and this pastor and uh, Pastor Shanks and I were talking and and uh, he said, you know, he really had a desire to have a Spanish ministry. Uh, there's so many Hispanics in, in, in that city where they where he was and and he couldn't speak Spanish and have anybody. And I said, you know, I, I don't know how much longer we're going to be on the. Uh, you know, I take that back. It wasn't just some months. It was almost a year before I take that back. I'm sorry. And I told him, you know, I'm, I'm reading the, the writing on the wall. Amen. <laughs> We're already kind of getting our head around the idea that we may have to come back home. I said, but for me to to come and com- commit to you, it would take me at least a year to try to get things in order down there in Mexico. But anyway, we sort of laid the, the foundation of me going to Grace. So by the time the, the, the decision was made to leave Mexico, uh, he and I had communicated a little bit again, and, and he had told me that <laughs> You know, the, the budgeting wasn't there like it was the year before. So there was no pay. <laughs> and I said, I remember writing back and said, so it all seemed so right to me. It seemed like the Lord really orchestrated this this uh, union. And so uh, I said, I'll go anyway. We went and I went and got uh, work at a labor ready agency and was just working midnight shifts and just doing anything I could. And we still had support. Praise the Lord. The churches said, well, I think maybe two or three churches said, we, we, we're not going to continue to support you. But the majority of them said, hey, we'll take care of you. And at least for a couple of years or a year, whatever you need, maybe you'll go back. And uh, so th- those things all just worked themselves out. We were able to start another church, a Spanish church. And uh, so that was, that was, that was great. 
And so my mom passed away and uh, I'm really thankful to the Lord that I was able to spend a couple of years with her uh, with greater frequency and be there for her and spend time with her that I would have never had on the field because it's, you know, so, so difficult to come home. Even if you're on a field close as we were, it's still very costly to travel back and forth like that. And the same with my mother-in-law, actually, uh, as my mom was able, was unable to uh, walk and, and move anymore, she went into a hospice care place and, uh, you know, we would go and visit her every week. And that was a blessing. And at the same time, my mother-in-law's dementia was so advanced that she needed full-time care. So she came and lived with us. And that was a whole nother, I'll take a whole nother session, tell you about that. Amen. That was, that was some difficult times. And, uh, but you know, I'm glad we did it. And I'm glad that uh, we did what was right. And the Lord blessed and he blessed our lives while we were in the States. But I'll tell you, um, I, I think I always had the idea in my heart uh, that I wanted to go back to Mexico as soon as I could. And so when our parents passed away, um, we, uh, um, we had made the move. I remember walking into Pastor Shank's office and I asked him the question, Are, do you think that there's a difference between contentment and satisfaction? And, you know, Brother Shank's a pretty spiritual man, and I respect him a lot. And I learned a lot from him in the four years I was there about walking with God. And, uh, you know, he kind of just looked up and thought about it a minute. He says, well, you know, evidently you think there is, or you wouldn't ask me. <laughs> I said, you know, I believe there is. I believe I'm very content. I have a great life blessed life. We live in a beautiful home and I uh, have a great job. Amen. I'm an assistant pastor. And uh, Liz started working. She was working for some company that let her work at home and had a lot of great benefits working at home and, and paid her well. And she did well. And I said, you know, all that side of it, the other side of the coin is, is I don't feel like I'm doing what the Lord would have me to do. And so I'm not satisfied with my life. And he says, so you're going back to Mexico. <laughs> I said, I think so. And he said, hallelujah. Amen. What can I do to help? And so I just got on the phone and, and just on the phone, we were able to get a probably half of our support, if not more back just on the phone. And then, uh, cause we still had, had not been out of their cycle for that long because many of the churches continued to support me for up to 18 months. And so for them, it's just been a few years that they had not been supporting us. So it wasn't like we were gone and forgotten. Amen. And then we got on the phone and I booked up a year's worth of meetings in just a few weeks. It was just, uh, the Lord just really moved and orchestrated some things that there was just so much confirmation. And brother, in 10 months, I mean, we left in, in February of 2000. 18. So in 2018, we were at your missions conference. So that was our very last meeting. And so we drove back to California with all our stuff on a moving van. And in January 
like fifth or sixth, we were back in Mexico. So from February to not 11 months. And, and actually we wound up getting a house right across the street from the house where we lived before. So we're in that same neighborhood. And that's a whole nother story of confirmations once we got here. But um, just, just, it was such a blessing to just go out and uh, come back and in such a short time, be back on the field and start working uh, right away. We didn't have to, uh, uh, learn culture and learn anything, the language. We just got right back into it. Amen. Amen. Well, Brother Mitch, I appreciate you uh, telling us the story about caring for your your mother and, and Liz's mother and, and how that transition took place and how the Lord got you back to where you were. Uh, yeah, yeah. Your heart was all along, really. Yeah, you know, my heart's always been in the Spanish-speaking people since we've been here so long. So, uh, when when Pastor Shanks tasked me with starting a Spanish ministry, oh, that was just joy for joy, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it was neat. We got to continue to. I preached every Sunday in Spanish, and that was a blessing. Amen. These these things when you're you get our age and your parents are elderly, those are decisions. You know, I, there were several things that provoked us and, and motivated us. A part of it was that our concern that they they weren't going to receive the care that that your your parents deserve. You know, I mean, you're their child. You love them. You want the best for them, and so that caused us to want to intercede and and direct that. and And there was a lot of things involved in it. In, in the case of my mother in law, I mean, we had to go and basically get um, you know legal custody of her so that we could do a lot of the things. So it was interesting on her side of the family, there was, uh, there was opposition. And on my side of the family, there was none, you know? <laughs> and the interesting thing is her side of the family is all Christians and mine aren't. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a, a different take on things, but you know, the Lord worked it all out and saw us through it. And, uh, and here we are back on the field and, and we're just pleased and, and uh and able to to represent not only churches like cornerstone but but our sending churches our our same sending church again and so a lot of neat things a lot of neat things happen amen so would you say that uh, these days you're both content and satisfied i i would say that i am i'm very satisfied i think that contentment you know i think paul said i've learned wherewith to be content so contentment is something that you learn and you you develop. And I think we can be content anywhere. If, if, if Richard Wombrin can be content getting his feet beaten in, right? in Romania, uh, I can be content anywhere I am. Uh, but being satisfied, I think, has more to do with are you doing what the Lord has really called you to do? And, uh, he called us to the States. And he allowed me, I, I look at it that way. He gave me permission to go home for a little while so that I could be home with my mother during a difficult time in her life. And he allowed that to happen. He orchestrated it and allowed me to land. The lines fell in a good place for me. And so I'm very grateful. Because it was all just, uh, it was easy to do, even though it was difficult and and uh, in the sense of leaving something, I just felt that it wasn't ready to do that. But at the same time, we knew it was the right thing we were supposed to do. So when the Lord's in it, there's just so much confirmation along the way. 
that uh, you 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 just gain a greater peace about it all. And so there's no regret, not a, not even an ounce of it. You know, no regrets whatsoever of what we did. Amen. What a what a great what a great position to be in to have done your duty and have no regrets about it. That's uh and and that is that is the goal in relation to the Great Commission, and I'd say it's the goal also in relation to our our family obligations with our children, and our parents. So, yeah, you know, and and you know, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, uh, something else, Bob. Bob Jones said, he said, do right. Do right. That's right. Till the stars fall, do right. Now, he was right about that. <laughs> right. Well, Brother Muller, I really appreciate the conversation. I'm so thankful Amen. for doing down there in Mexico. Uh, and, and I appreciate you taking out the time to. No, no. It's, it's a privilege. I hope it'll be a blessing to those that listen. Plenty of food for thought in the conversation with Brother Muller, including church planning strategy, which I thought was helpful. I really appreciate Brother Mitch's transparency about the agonizing decision to leave the field for a period of time to focus on caring for his and Liz's mothers. I suppose we all recognize that there are some obvious sacrifices that foreign missionaries make when it comes to parents and extended family. Perhaps you can call up some of the relevant passages right now. We're certainly not going to unravel these issues in a program like this, but we can raise them and acknowledge that Missions has a way of exposing these complexities and calling on our prayerful and honest attention to all the counsel of God. Thank you again for tuning in today. If the program's been a blessing to you, I invite you to subscribe and invite others to listen as well. I welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.